Hey everybody, welcome back to the Finding Fulfillment Podcast by Self-Improvement. I'm your host, Blake Reichenbach. I'm not a fan of wasting time or spreading bad advice, so let's just get to it and dive into some powerful conversations with amazing people as we figure out what it looks like to build your ideal life, be a bit happier each day, and, oh, right, find fulfillment. Let's go! How's it going? Hey, Blake, it's going well. Good to hear. Good to hear. You know, it's such a, oh, it's such like a mundane conversation starter, but I'm genuinely curious. How is the weather in Columbus right now? It is deceptively warm to the point where you get like excited about it and then it plummets to a frigid like 41 degrees. So like that's been the week and now it's, it's like a 41, like don't get too excited by the sun out the second you step outside. It's gonna, it's not, it's not, the vision is not going to line up with reality. Does Columbus have that like fake spring that people talk about where it's like you're coming out of winter, have a little bit of spring and then winter again? Yeah. Yep. It's touch and go. It's never like, and then it's like really solid for two months and then it's, it goes into the other fake transitional <laughs> moments, seasons. So yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm always curious with people in other areas that are kind of like ambiguously Midwestern, I'll say, you know, oh, it's yeah. like, not necessarily as far west as when people think like, oh yeah, the American Midwest, but it's yeah. Midwestern. It's weird, weird weather patterns in the Midwest. That's true. Yeah. Like it's not as, like it's not as, yeah, the visual doesn't line up with, like the way it might be written about books is it's, it'd be hard to define in a, in a way that like LA would be, you'd get a really clear idea of what that feels like to be there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. I lived in uh, Louisville, Kentucky for about six years and Louisville is one of those cities that's on the cusp of being Midwestern, it's also on the cusp of being Southern and can't make up its <laughs> mind for which one it is. But because it's right there in the Ohio River Valley, it had like the most bananas weather patterns possible. Fun fact slash sad fact, it's also one of the most rapidly heating cities in the U.S. Wow, so, I had no idea. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Louisville, Louisville has virtually no tree canopy coverage. And so it, it's rocketing in terms of, of average temperatures it's 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 a great city not great from a climate perspective yeah i know columbus always we always get the reputation for being gray like it's always like a, it's a very gray place to live so yeah yeah little little un, fun facts about places that do not have <laughs> identities and major novels and things like that well you know uh, one of the great things about gray is it kind of goes with everything you know you can make oh, it work that's, true. that's why all my walls are gray <laughs> oh yeah, 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 that's true. Columbus, Columbus has got that going for it. That's true. It's a neutral. It's a neutral zone. Exactly. Well, you know, I, I didn't bring you on today to discuss the weather, though. I am. I, I've, I've visited Columbus. Love Columbus. Would love to learn more about its climate. But also, I wanted you to come in today because you're kind of a, a, a guru or a, a great person to speak about multitasking, and you currently work as a therapist with an ADHD specialist. You're the owner of Focus Minds ADHD Counseling in Columbus. And, you know, I think for our listeners, you know, whether they have ADHD or not, I think a mm -hmm. lot of what you do professionally and have to talk about can be pretty beneficial for them. Sure. Yeah. 
So tell us a little bit about how you got into the field that you're in and how you settled on like being an ADHD specialist. Yeah, um, so I actually had an interesting journey. I was, I got my undergraduate in the arts theater and I minored in psychology and sociology and things like that. And so it was always a passion of mine, but I never really felt like, I liked being a creative, but I never really enjoyed the performance aspect of things. And, you know, I got locked into this thing in my early twenties where I felt like that was my path and I, I had blinders on and it was hard to see anything else that would make me feel fulfilled. And I think, you know, that's a period of my life, which I think is pretty common after grad, after school or grad school, where you're just kind of looking for meaning and purpose. And, you know, it all just feels really big. So I did my own soul searching, tried a different thing, couple of things, and then landed a job working in a mental health clinic at NYU, where I, I got firsthand experience working with kids with neurodevelopmental disorders like ADHD and was really sold. I thought it was, it was totally my passion. Being a therapist just made total sense to me. It was kind of like the stars all aligned and I had this eureka moment and then just kept pursuing, pursuing it, got my master's and worked in the field for a few years. And then always knew I wanted to start a practice like Focus Mind that was specific to adults with ADHD and then became an entrepreneur, which was terrifying and all the feelings and all that stuff. And just it was an exercise in confidence and risk-taking and drive. And I just went for it. And it's been, it's been a good journey ever since. Fantastic. And you know, yeah. not only do you have that like mental health professional background that I think is super, sure. super valuable for our listeners, but also your, your journey to getting to where you're at has been kind of like multi-tiered and, uh -huh. you know, no doubt along the way you've had conflicting priorities and goals yeah. that intertwined and overlapped and conflicted and you know no no doubt you've been in the trenches on having <laughs> to negotiate multitasking and prioritizing and getting yeah. clarity around what it is that you want sure that's true yeah pursuing especially when you're you know that whole thing where you you have an income in one domain but then you're looking to to build up your passion in another domain. That's, I think that's a big, that's kind of speaks to some of that duality you're talking about. So yeah, yeah, it's been a journey. For sure. And that, that notion of having an income in one area and building up your passion in another, that just, that feels very on brand for me. That speaks to my soul <laughs> because that is exactly yeah. what I'm doing with this podcast, but I will refrain from making this a therapy session for myself. Okay, fair uh, enough. And instead, I, you know, I'll just kind of start by asking a little bit about you know, multitasking. Uh -huh. And, you know, in, in your, in your opinion, and from your perspective as a mental health professional, I'm curious, sure. like, what, how, how does multitasking kind of manifest itself in, you know, the, the types of, of people you work with? And what are some of those challenges there that people might not necessarily anticipate? Yeah, I mean, so ADHD is a, an executive functioning disorder. So the brain CEO or the brain's workstation doesn't work the same as if you didn't have ADHD. So ADHD really is about the executive functioning piece is about working memory, emotional regulation, task completion, getting started, procrastination, managing emotions, self-awareness. So it's all kind of wrapped up in there. So that alone can create some chaos in people's lives around their priorities and what to get things done in the moment. So you know, I think ultimately, though, what underlies the urge to multitask is a lot of the times it's fear. A lot of the times it's it's strong emotions that kind of like change your thinking to feel like you can get 15 million things done at one time and then frustration when you can't do it. And then that leads to even stronger feelings of like self-doubt and shame. So I think 
for me, a lot of the times that's a big part of the a part of the process is helping people create boundaries or create emotional awareness to kind of figure out and pick apart which parts of their life are making them feel like they need to do 15 million things at life at once and which parts of their emotions are making them feel bad about the fact that that didn't happen because uh, neither, neither are true, neither, neither need to happen to be effective or productive. Fantastic. You know, there's, yeah. there's a lot in there to unpack. And, sure. yeah. you know, off the bat, one of the things that really stood out to me while you were speaking was that it almost kind of sounds like multitasking can create a, uh, a negative cycle almost, where it's like you sure. feel like there's so much you need to do, and then you get frustrated when you can't do it. So maybe you start to feel like you're getting behind and need to do mm -hmm. more. Like, is, is yeah. that, does that seem to ring true for folks or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's, and then the, it's almost like a, yeah, it's a cycle where you start to believe that you start to feel like you can do it all and then you can't. And then maybe you don't know what to focus on when, and then there actually are things that are piling up and things that like, like suddenly there are all these fires. So I think, yeah, I think it can kind of, they can feed each other like that for sure. For sure. And, you know, I think that's, that's, you know, as you're speaking, that's, Definitely true for people who do have ADHD and also for people who don't, uh, once sure. they start falling yeah. into that multitasking cycle. You know, I come out of a background that's really closely intertwined with like the startup world and the entrepreneurial uh -huh. world. And oh, yeah. if, if you ever want to see folks chasing fires to put out and creating new <laughs> fires along the way, work with yeah. the startup. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah, you know, in addition to that kind of cyclical nature of multitasking mm -hmm. and some of the challenges that that poses. You also mentioned when you're discussing it, like creating boundaries and identifying uh -huh. where you should be putting your time. So I'm curious, like, tell us a little bit more about that. What does it actually mean to create boundaries? I think it's really about, I think it's about well, boundaries are really just what you say yes to and what you say no to. What's okay with you and what's not okay. And I think you really can't do it unless you zoom out on your the totality of your life and you really take a stock of like your values because sometimes what we think is the boundary we should be setting, maybe there's another way to go about that. So, cause boundaries aren't, they're not unilateral, right? Like they're time sensitive, they're emotional, they're physical, they're self-esteem driven. There's different, what you can set boundaries on yourself. You can set boundaries on your environment. You can set boundaries on people. So I think it's about doing an inventory on like zooming out and really seeing like, where's the intervention? Like where, where could this look? Where, where could I say yes? And where can I say no? Because all those things I think ultimately will or will not serve your values and your short-term and long-term goals. Fantastic. And, you know, I think as people, we often kind of get in the weeds with like what's going on with our emotional yeah. state in the moment. So yeah. how, how can someone who's feeling that sense of stress and pressure and very in the present with what they're dealing with, how can someone in that position zoom out and, you know, get that space to look at the bigger picture? Like in a pre-planning way, or you think like in the moments, like, like we're talking like in the weeds, the anxiety's high. Well, let's, let's start with in the weeds and then we'll also okay. chat through about like pre-planning since I think both are going to be super helpful skills for folks to work on. Yeah. I mean, I think just noticing things in your environment. So like, what are things I see? What am I feeling in my body? What am I feeling emotionally? What am I thinking right now? Like getting grounded, like anchoring yourself in the present moment, because oftentimes the moments, those, those 
fight or flight crisis moments, they're not driven by the moment per se. Oftentimes they're driven by stories we tell ourselves about our lives, stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, stories we tell ourselves about what's important, what's not, catastrophic things that are gonna happen if we don't get things done right now. And the second we can unhook from the matrix or just unplug from those stories and just see, hey, I'm in a room. I'm thinking that I'm gonna get fired if I don't respond to my boss's email right now. I'm feeling anxious. That gives us that, that minute stop gap to really decide what, how we wanna play this right now, like how we wanna set the boundary, how we wanna live out our values. So I think it's about getting centered in the present moment that offers us that life raft to um, know what to do next in any given moment. You know, I, I often, uh, it's really cool hearing you describe it that way because when I'm working with a coaching client or just, you know, chatting through with one of my colleagues on something that's gotten them very, you know, frazzled and, and feeling strung sure. out, uh, one of the first things that I always say is like, have you considered journaling about this? And uh -huh. like, I always say, you know, just sit down. And if you're not a journaler, don't worry about having good handwriting, like just write, I feel X, here's what this feels like in my body. And yeah. like, just taking that moment to get that space and take this really nebulous, overwhelming feeling and give mm -hmm. it a form, give it something that like you can that. like, confine and look at. Yeah, I like that. And it sounds like that's a really similar process to what you're yeah. describing there. Yeah, and I think one of the keys with that is learning to do, to look at yourself non-judgmentally. And I think that journaling helps externalize what we're feeling to a point where kind of like we, like you were saying, like it just gets you really present and really aware. And if you could figure out how to do that in a non-judgmental way so that you're not X, Y, or Z because of the present moment, like it just, it just is. And it's kind of like practicing mindfulness and stillness then yeah, I think that that can bring things into focus for sure. For sure. And earlier in this season, when I, I recorded an episode with a uh, meditation expert named Carrie Ham. Yeah. And so hopefully for folks listening to this episode now, you'll have also listened to Carrie's episode. She had some really great things to say about mindfulness. So I would definitely uh -huh. recommend checking that out if you have not already. But yeah, let's, let's also kind of talk about like rather than in the moment when you're experiencing mm -hmm. it, you're in the weeds, uh, let's talk about some of the ways you can prepare in advance, since that's another aspect you mentioned. Yeah, so I think identifying your values in the multi multiple domains of life. So what you might value in terms of your relationships might be a little different about what you value at work, you know, and oftentimes those things conflict. So like if you value success and you value being driven, but you also value time with family or time with your partner, you know, and connection and you're working like 90 hours a week. And then there's little time for that. That's going to lead to negative. That's going to lead to a negative emotional experience. So I think it's about pre-planning and figuring out like what you really care about and how those things ultimately lead you. They, they give you that momentum, how your values give you your momentum to lead the ultimate life you want to be living so that on the one hand, you know what to do in the moment, but you also know that you're building towards a sense of meaning and purpose. So I think it's, I think pre-planning is probably the, like that soul searching pre-planning part is the good, like the pre preparation work. Fantastic. Let's, let's play with that a little bit because sure. one of the things that we talk about a lot on the self-improvement website and here on the podcast is that a lot of folks have this idea that you know, they want to build a better life or they want to improve some aspect of their life, but they don't necessarily know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like this awareness of what you value that you're discussing mm -hmm. is a yeah. really important aspect of that. And yeah. so I'm curious, like, if someone has 
vague ideas about what they value, but maybe they've never mm -hmm. like sat down and either put words to it or tried to unpack like what that means. Mm -hmm. How might you approach, how might you advise that they approach that? I mean, obviously speaking with a therapist yeah. such as yourself is a great starting point, but sure. What other, yeah. you know, tools are available to them? I would say throw experience in there. So if you're curious about a value that having experiences can be a way to figure out if you really want to go down that road in terms of adding it to your life in a more permanent sense. So like, I mean, and, and also like, what are you, what, what are you holding yourself back in a sense too? Are there values that you want to be trying out, but fear, shame, negative, not to say, not that emotion, any emotion is negative, but emotional experiences that hold you back because of the stories you have about your lives. Is there some freedom that can be there if you kind of notice that it's about the fear and maybe that risk and risk is relative. So, you know, not everyone is in a position to like go out and quit their jobs or anything like that. But like, if you want to dip your toe in the water, what emotions are holding you back? And can you throw some experiences in there that might help clarify those values for you? You know, fear Fear, that's a really good call out with fear. Uh -huh. And it immediately made me think of, I don't know if you've read it or not, but uh, Big Magic by Liz Gilbert. I don't know that one. What's the? I, so I, it's, it's the book that I recommend to everybody. In okay. 2019, I actually flew to Boston to attend a conference for the sole purpose of <laughs> going to a 30 minute reading of Liz Gilbert oh. and to shake her hand. And it was magical. But Liz, Liz Gilbert, Elizabeth Gilbert, she's the author of Eat, Pray, Love. It's probably her biggest oh, book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Big Magic is, in many ways, her manifesto of what it means to live a creative life. Yeah. The subtitle of the book is actually Creative Living Beyond Fear. Mm -hmm. And in it, she has this really great section where she talks about recognizing the fearfulness that held her back from doing her best work. And this... Yeah. I want to do this, but I'm so afraid to commit because it comes with risks. You know, uh -huh. people might not understand it. People might judge me, you know, mm -hmm. saying yes to this opportunity may mean saying no to another opportunity. Yeah. And she describes this process of developing a relationship with her fear where she kind of personifies it and thinks about uh -huh. it like she's going on a road trip. Fear is mm -hmm. going to come along because it is a natural emotion. It's not bad yeah. to be fearful, but yeah. she's not letting fear sit in the driver's seat or the passenger seat. It's going in the back seat. It's allowed to have it say she thinks it yeah. for its presence, but she's in control. She's going to drive. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. There's a, a, a saying in mental health called the observing self. So like there's, there's a part of you that's behind all this stuff. Like you're still the conductor of what's going on and that fear and negative self-talk and like the, the concerns about people judging you, there's still a you behind it. And it's really that point where you can recognize it and not shame it, welcome it. It's a part of you. It's, I mean, emotions are a biological response. They're there to, to protect you. Like they're your inner helicopter parent or whatever. They're there to help you, but that's, it's what the body believes what the mind tells it. So like, if to me, you know, starting a business is this grizzly bear in the woods. And I see it that way. And in some ways it, it might be, but risk is, is relative. And at some point, you know, it's more manageable than we, we might give ourselves credit for. For sure. For sure. And, you know, it, it also, just to circle back and close the loop, I think that when you do those mindfulness, mindfulness exercises, when you uh -huh. do that journaling, when you do speak with a therapist and talk through these things, I think that's really sure. what helps you kind of understand that self behind the emotions mm -hmm. and then yeah you know 
be able to get a bit more clarity there and, and mm-hmm. you know to to embrace Liz's approach of of separating yourself from that fear recognizing mm-hmm. yep you're a part of me it's human you're not bad but you're also yeah. not in control yeah yeah I like it there's another one feelings are like the weather like they kind of change based on the weather so like you, there's a there's a there's a limited amount of control you have over the weather you can decide to go inside when it's raining or you could dance in the rain and both might work for you or not work for you. But ultimately if it's raining, it's raining, but it won't rain forever. You're not gonna, unless you're in Seattle, but that still would only be like <laughs> nine months out of the year. So, you know, metaphors don't apply in Seattle. We'll just, yeah, uh... that's true. it's a metaphor free zone. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. 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 Trying to think like if there would be a great Seattle specific metaphor there, but all I can think of in the moment is like some days you smell the coffee, other days you don't. It's Oh, Who knows? yeah. <laughs> yeah, I go to Sleepless in Seattle. It's like one of my favorite <laughs> movies, but I can't think of any metaphors. It's kind of a dark one. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the good news is, according to the analytics data that I have, we don't have that many listeners in Seattle. So, okay. if you are All one right. of our few listeners in Seattle, I'm sorry that we don't have a great metaphor for your city. I'll work on yeah. it. I'll workshop it. Maybe in a we'll later season, we'll yeah. just have Seattle metaphors. <laughs> You'll make it right. <laughs> so, you know, to step away from the woes of Seattle, to kind of come back to what you were saying before about owning your boundaries. I'm curious, like, if we could chat through some examples of what that may look like in work and in your personal life, because I think it's really, it's, it's a really important concept. And it's really great on the surface to understand, like, you know, saying yes and no to some things, or saying yes to some things, no to other things Mm -hmm. based upon what you value. But let's say someone is in a work situation where they're wanting to stand out. They're wanting to, you know, be that person that gets considered for promotions Mm -hmm. and they feel like they're just spinning their wheels and, you know, putting work into everything that they possibly can. They're bouncing Mm -hmm. around from their email to phone calls to Slack notifications, like, Mm -hmm. How would someone in that position create those boundaries for themselves? Structure, I think, sounds like a good, like a good starting place. Like if you're, if you're, if you've got, I guess like, yeah, like what kind of structures are going on in your individual, in your environment? What kind of boundaries do you have on your email? Like, do you have like 15 million tabs open at one time? When do you check your email? Are you doing it like early morning and midday? Are you doing it like all day long and you have like a very aggressive, community that you live in where you're you're getting like 15 million emails and you just can't seem to get it get what you need to done get done done so I think structure is a good is a good call there I mean boundaries are also about saying yes and saying no and saying no is probably one of the best things we can learn to do as people but it's probably the hardest thing to do because of things like fear and because of our feelings about other people's feelings so when we set boundaries we're gonna get some pushback but does that necessarily mean we're gonna lose our jobs so that that could be in a sense like maybe that is the that is the setting for that so risk is relative and read you know there's a certain amount of like an inventory that's got to go on in your in your individual situation but i think if, if you're trying to set boundaries saying yes and saying no are they're 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 unavoidable but they're not black or white so it's kind of going back to that zooming out there might be ways to compromise with yourself and with the situation so that you hold integrity and you feel like your feelings are not you're not like eroding emotionally but like you're still you're still able to set enough boundaries so that you can get what needs to get done done and have a life outside of work too 
For sure. And I think, especially within a professional context, it's always, it feels tricky to say, mm-hmm. to say no to one of your coworkers because, sure. you know, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't want to be that person. And I think a lot of us have this ingrained fear that we may not even recognize of like yeah. wanting to to stand out, to be uh, accepted at work. Uh-huh. And we equate our acceptance with sure. pleasing our coworkers. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's probably not the best phrasing, pleasing our coworkers. Let's say, you well, know. Well, like pe- people pleasing is a thing though. Like this yeah. like idea of feeling like you need to make everyone happy. But does that equal, does that always equal a promotion? Does that always equal advancement? And it may, it may not, but I think getting clarity around where those feelings are coming from and where the drive is coming from and what it's costing you too, right? So what we know about multitasking is like, you're actually like drastically less effective when you're trying to do 15 million things at once rather than like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and then switching tasks based on their level of priority. So I think that goes back to some of that anxiety, feeling the chaos, which isn't necessarily the recipe for success. Definitely. And I I think that a lot of times we do ourselves a disservice by not stepping back and reframing the situation Uh where we ask ourselves, am I being productive or am I Mm -hmm. busy? Because I I think that a lot of us convince ourselves that we're being productive when really we're just busy. (laughs) And I think we've all had weeks where we've gone into work and we've done a million different things. And by Friday, Mm -hmm. we're exhausted. But then we look back and it's like, well, what, what do I have to show for it? You know, what, what was do? the actual output of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that that's what you were saying is super, super true. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where what I tend to advise people, especially in my organization, but for my day job, when people are newer to the role, one of the things mm-hmm. I always try and advise is like, there's always going to be more on our to-do list than there's time to do. We're always going to have an unlimited amount of tasks that we could be doing. But yeah. if you focus like, where can you drive impact? What are your strengths? And what is mm-hmm. the outcome of that? Rather yeah. than what all could I be doing right now? Tends to work out way, way better. Yeah, that reminds me of, there's a book called Getting Things Done by David Allen. You heard of that one? I don't think I have. Yeah, he's a bit, he basically talks about how we live in such an information superhighway. Like the world is throwing us information and the need to act faster than we can keep up with it. And that's true of jobs. Like, I don't think any of your listeners are strangers to their boss emailing them outside of work hours or the expectation that they've miraculously done something like that was given to them at like 5.30 when they were not even supposed to be at work. And like, where was it at 9 a.m.? Like the next day, there might be a little bit of that thing going on. So he's all about the idea that if you have the right systems in place and you have the right ability to kind of orchestrate and organize an organized situation so that you know what to delegate, you know what to put off, you know what's on autopilot, that that's really the only way to fortify it because of how fast it's all moving. And at the end of the day, we're people with human brains that need rest. And there's like only so much we can conceivably do despite um, our beliefs about what you were saying about busyness versus like being effective. Fantastic. And, you know, I will, I'm going to add that book to my uh, to read list and I'll link it in the show notes for this episode as well. Sure. Because that, it sounds really, in many ways, it sounds similar to one of my favorite books that I I cite pretty frequently, which is The Shallows by Nicholas Carr. Shallows, what the internet is doing to our brains, where he looks at like the neuro, neuroplasticity of, of 
like being online <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and you know how that influences the way that we we think it's it's i will say i always give this disclaimer for anybody who works in tech if you pick up that book it's a little dated and okay. some of the ways that he describes the internet isn't necessarily the way that a person who works in the internet <laughs> would describe it or think about it oh yeah uh, but yeah. it's still a really good book uh, and it sounds like that the book that you were just discussing is kind of you know different in focus but also really similar in this idea of like we're in this information super highway constantly mm-hmm. how do we yeah. you know navigate that negotiate that yeah yeah he has this other great little bit in there about picking basically it's like picking out your days to do's at the beginning of the day like they're buffet like thinking about it like you're going to a buffet so like you can't, you can only eat so much. Like our eyes are often, they're bigger than our stomachs. So like knowing, hey, I have this gargantuan thing, like, wait a minute, stop. Is that like a two hour task? Is that, am I really going to get that done in 15 minutes? Okay, I'm going to make that a two hour task. All right, okay, okay. So then like how many, like I've got three hours left in the workday after I do all these different things, like what can I fit in there? What are my 15, what are my little like appetizer size things? What could I cram into 10 minutes if I needed to? Okay, I don't really need to get this stuff done today, but I got this one little five minute tax that I can do there and just getting really realistic about what's gonna get done and making it reasonable and learning how to quantify it so that you're like, okay, there's, there's this is what I'm gonna get done and I'm leaving a little bit of space for the emergencies, but they're not all, I can't do like 15 prime rib steaks in like one, in one day, so yeah. Definitely, and, and you know, I think, that's that's something that takes practice. I think a yeah, lot of people, sure. you know, if you're going to try that out and try and like do some time blocking and, and evaluating, always keep in mind that you might not get your times exactly correct at first, totally fine. Yeah. Just evaluate where you underestimated, where you overestimated, you know, my go-to, do some journaling about it, try again, keep iterating. There you go. Yeah, that's great advice. I like that. Also with that that metaphor of the buffet, do you remember buffets pre-corona when we could just go <laughs> oh, and yeah. touch a plate and communal tongs and spoons? I, I, yeah, I guess that's, we might have to update that metaphor a little bit. That's like, I don't even, are those even coming back? Like, I don't even know if <laughs> what's going to go on with those. It, it, I feel like the first time I go to a, a buffet in the yeah. future or whenever that is, it's going to feel like culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the golden. I don't know if they have these where you are. The golden corral. You ever hear of that? We we do have golden corral. Yeah, a couple of those. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is. A Columbus favorite. Oh, that. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hearing it referred to as a Columbus favorite might have changed my perception of Columbus. Perception of Columbus. Bit. I should say a Columbus, <laughs> like a landmark more than a favorite. Yeah. I don't know how many passionate, how passionate people are, but yeah, it's here and we know about it. I mean, I can't, I, I, I'm being facetious, I can't really judge. In, in the area of Kentucky where I grew up in, Golden uh-huh. Corral would be like high cuisine. Like that Got would it. be fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, you know, we are coming up on time for the episode. And so yeah, I, I'm just kind of curious, what's your favorite buffet? No, I, I'm kidding. With this topic of multitasking and owning your boundaries, you know, is there uh-huh. anything that you think is super important for folks to know that we haven't covered today? Or do you feel like we've hit the high points? Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, I think a lot of it does come down to self-care and by self-care, I mean like self-worth and just really knowing your value. So I think we're talking a lot about values in like an external sense, but knowing your intrinsic value and being and feeling and owning that can really help inform what you do when. 
I think too. Dope, fantastic. And you know, that's that's another one of those topics of recognizing your own value and also your values that we uh-huh. come back to a lot on self-improvement. So yeah. thank you for being super on brand without even getting sure. a nudge in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> one is glad to be of service. <laughs> Got it. Fantastic. Uh, All right. Well, everybody, thank you for tuning in to this episode. And thank you again, Billy, for being here and sharing. If folks want to learn more or, you know, if they're in the Columbus area and reach out to you, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, you can find me at focusedmindadhdcounseling.com. Perfect. And I will include that link in the show notes for this episode. So thanks again, Billy. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. You got it. And that is it. You are armed with some new info, so go out there and conquer. The ball is in your court, and we're here to cheer you on. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and tag us on social media at self-improvement. While you're at it, check out our guests at the link in the show notes. You can find more great content like this over at selfimprovement.com. That's www.selfimprovement.com. If you're interested in being a guest on our podcast or want to share some feedback, you can also contact us through our website. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be chatting with you again real soon.